Fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and, importantly, also some rubbish ones. On every episode, we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game and discuss whether said game's stealth and its boom-boom are up to snuff. My name is Colm O'Hearn and joining me on this episode is a man that didn't win the Premier League with Manchester United in 2013 and isn't called Tom Cleverly. It's Adam (laughs) Carroll. Good evening. (laughs) And alongside him is someone that didn't star in 1997's Austin Powers International Man of Mystery (laughs) and isn't called Liz Hurley. It's Josh Wise. Hello, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. I just wanted to establish that neither of you are professional footballer Tom Cleverley or actress Liz Hurley. Correct, yeah. Josh, are you a football fan in general? No, not really. Okay, that's fine, because I was in my head going, why did I get the football one? I'm certainly not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad I got Liz Hurley, because she's great, you know. And I like that film as well. I haven't seen it in years, though. I remember laughing a lot. Yeah, I just thought it it was important, because those two people are from a place that we're going to be mentioning quite a lot throughout this podcast no way you two you are not but uh, you're very familiar with the hometown of Tom and Liz but look we're getting ahead of ourselves because lads we need to first think about when the game we're going to be talking about today when that came out so stick on your party hats and get those uh, party blowers is that what they're called (laughs) get them because tonight we're going to party like it's April 27, 2018. Good. Because before we chat about the game, we need to get into the right headspace, right? So let us dive headfirst into what was happening on, uh, in and around the world on the 27th of April, 2018. Again, Adam, you'll love this, being football crazy, football mm-hmm, mad. Of course. A week prior... Arsene Wenger issued a statement saying he'd be stepping down as Arsenal manager after 22 years in the job. Yeah, that was a mad day. It doesn't happen a lot. It doesn't happen a lot these days in football management. People staying in jobs for 22 years. On the 29th of April, The Simpsons overtook Gunsmoke and became the TV series with the highest number of episodes. (laughs) And it still goes on and on and on. Also, this is... Wild, right? Around this time, there was apparently a Frida Kahlo Barbie doll that was on sale in Mexico. (laughs) However, it was quickly taken down off shelves after the Kahlo family objected. So this doll was done without their knowledge, as far as I'm aware. That was excellent. Get that down off the shelves, please. On the day the game we're discussing launched, Swedish pop music group ABBA said they had recorded songs together for the first time in 36 years. And also, when fans of theirs heard this news, I'm sure they were very excited to see the band go and tour those songs in the flesh soon after. (laughs) Keeping it on music, the number one song in America was Drake's Nice For What? And honestly, I could hear it now and probably think it was a new song because 
I don't know about you, but I have no idea what Drake's nice for what is. In the UK, however, I do know this song. Calvin Harris and Dua Lipa took the, the top spot with One Kiss. Don't remember it. What song is that? One Kiss is all it takes. Call him for a song. Call him for a song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in movies, Avengers Infinity War premiered at cinemas on this day. So if we were doing a game that came out a week later, we'd definitely be saying 100% that the Avengers film was topping the box office. But at this time, the number one film in America was the film about shutting up with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, A Quiet Place. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the UK, though, A Quiet Place was only number two because if you smell what he is cooking, Dwayne The Rock Johnson was king of cinema with video game adaptation Rampage oh, yeah. oh good lord did I ever tell you guys about my uh, dad's uh, objection to A Quiet Place no. no he's got a really funny thing I don't uh, yeah he um, <laughs> he doesn't he understands the movie right but he doesn't really believe the premise now that sounds bonkers because it's about invading aliens are they aliens I think they're aliens aren't they um he, he was like, yeah, the movie doesn't really work. And I was like, oh, all right, what, what, like, what do you mean? And he's like, I don't understand how it'd get to that state. <laughs> and I was like, well, the, well, the aliens just invade, don't they? And you, you can't say anything, otherwise they'll come and batter you. And he's like, yeah, but how did the whole world like get to that state? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, <laughs> they just run at you and just like lamp you with their sword like arms. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what? But they just toppled the American military. And I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like, I guess I can't really argue with you, Pat. I mean, fair enough. Like, I guess you just sort of have to accept that they did really. And he's like, well, I don't. So I was like, all right, fair enough. He's like, the movie's flawed. I was like, I will leave that there then. <laughs> He wasn't lining up for the sequel. No, no. I, I mentioned when, uh, was it part two or whatever? And he, and he just sort of shrugged and went, oh, that rubbish. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Couldn't buy the premise. Didn't accept the premise. Wasn't, 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 it wasn't up for it. So. I don't know if he'd have much time for the game we're going to be talking no, about No, I don't so. know that he would. No. <laughs> <laughs> but look, let us talk about the game. Firstly, with a segment we like to call Back of the Box. And yes, people, eagle-eyed listeners will know from the name of this podcast, the game we're talking about today is called simply Basingstoke. Mm. And for those of you that don't know, which I have a feeling maybe quite a few, Basingstoke is an isometric, procedurally generated, roguelike stealth game. One would say, though, the most important thing to mention about Basingstoke is that it's very, very hard it's very hard. And it can't have a box, can it? It doesn't, no. So this is a lie, but you're ju- jumping ahead. <laughs> Dishonest. This, so yes, as I said, this one came out on the 27th of April, 2018. And as Josh uh, astutely pointed out, no box for this one. No box. Just the Steam description, which is a bit disappointing because I always find them, hmm. I don't know, it's bit a bit dry. dry. But here you go, here you go. Basingstoke is a tense roguelike that mixes stealth and arcade action. Explore the smouldering ruins of Basingstoke, a world of reanimated undead and ferocious alien monsters. Scavenge as you go, crafting equipment to help you in your mission. Escape Basingstoke. And I appreciate the, just describing what happens in the game, but 
there's, there's no flavour there, you know? There's no pizzazz. If you saw that in a shop, you'd put it back on the shelf and you'd go on to the next thing, and it's as simple as that. As I mentioned, a few of you won't have played it, so let me try and give you a bit of the story, a bit of a synopsis of the story. So, in Basingstoke, you begin the game interviewing at a company called Omnicorp. While making your way through Omnicorp's building, presumably towards said interview, you see a science experiment that goes horribly wrong and aliens have crash-landed on Earth. Specifically, they've crash-landed in the largest town in Hampshire, in (laughs) south-central England, Basingstoke. Yes, of all the places they could have crash-landed in the entire world... They've ended up 30 miles northeast of Southampton, 48 miles southwest of London, 27 miles west of Guildford. <laughs> They've landed in bloody Basingstoke, right? According to 2016 figures, this old market town had a population of 113,776. But you, the player, you want to make it 113,775 because your sole goal in this game is to escape Basingstoke. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I suppose that 113,000 is a much lower number because when you are escaping, a lot of people are now dead mm. because of aliens, but whatever. <laughs> the aliens are angry, they're out to kill you, so you must get by them. And yeah, again, escape Basingstoke. So the developer and the publisher behind this is one and the same, and a games company, unlike any others we've looked at previously, right? Especially in contrast to the last episode the last episode being Assassin's Creed. So, Poppy Games is the name of the developer and publisher. They were founded in 2002 by two people, Caspian Prince and Chaz Willits. They were friends that went to secondary school together in uh, Hertfordshire. And according to an interview Prince did with a Spanish blog called Picando Codigo in 2011. And I just want to point out, yes, I do my research. <laughs> Poppy Games was established after Prince had an idea for a multiplayer RTS game. Prince said, quote, we had a go at developing it. It turned out to be incredibly naive of us to attempt something quite so ambitious. So after burning a lot of money, we gave up and then decided to have a go at making something rather more modest. This turned out to be Alien Flux in 2003 which was a colossal failure, end quote. In total, this colossal failure sold 211 copies. So not fantastic. Mm. But the developer's first notable game came in 2006. It was called Titan Attacks. It was essentially a Space Invaders-like, and it reviewed pretty well, sitting on a 74 on Metacritic. After launching Droid Assault which was a game similar to Commodore 64's Paradroid, Puppy Games released a sequel to Titan Attacks called Revenge of the Titans. And this really was the game that Puppy Games needed. So this RTS Tower Defense garnered some critical acclaim. It picked up a 70 off IGN, an 8 off Eurogamer, and a 90 off GamePro. And it was also, very importantly, a commercial success. So back to... The interview I referenced from that Spanish blog, Picando Cadigo, Caspian Pr- Prince said that the uh, that Puppy Games were able to quit their day jobs and go full time with Puppy Games after the release of Revenge of the Titans, specifically after the game was included in the second ever Humble Indie Bundle in 2010. <laughs> so. Prince said, Humble Indie Bundle 2, quote, set us up with enough money to last for a year or so, end quote. Showing you the importance, especially, I guess, in those early years when they were such a novelty, the 
the humble indie bundles. Their next game, Ultratron, would once again harken back to an older game, the arcade shooter Robotron 2084. It did well critically, I can't say about commercially. On Puppy Games' own blog, they then started talking about their new game, which was a game called Battle Droid, in February 2013. It seemed like an ambitious strategy game where in large robot armies would basically do battle. However, on the 13th of August 2014, Puppy Games again took to their blog to say that they were broke. So, according to the blog... Quote, due to several decisions of dubious merit last year, we've ended up wasting most of our cash on things that never flew. End quote. These things of, quote, dubious merit didn't include developing Battle Droid because the blog explains they could have used that time where they were trying to deal with these other stuff. They could have used that time to be developing Battle Droid. In fact, you can actually wish list it now if you want on Steam. There's no release date or anything like that. But from what I've read... Uh, this is just something that they've been chipping away at for, God, the best part of a decade, probably. Wow. The important thing to, to note at this time was that the developer was running really low on cash. It's mentioned in their blog that they had four months worth of money left and they thought about running a Kickstarter for Battle Droid, but ultimately they decided against it. Long story, slightly less long. They thought they could use the four months of funds that they had to make an arcade stealth game in that time. That arcade stealth game being Basingstoke. Hmm. But just to remind you two and all our listeners, this blog was posted on the 13th of August 2014. That four months of cash was stretched out over the course of four years. (laughs) Also around this time, rather than Kickstarter, the developer did launch a Patreon and were hoping to pull in the modest sum of five thousand us dollars per month that's what they were aiming for right but according to a blog they posted in december 2016 in puppy games own words they said quote unfortunately it didn't exactly work out like a magical indie game developer fairy tale and we managed a funding level of just 400 dollars per month at its peak this then forced caspian prince to take a day job working in software and this is quite the change in the marine seismic exploration industry in oil and gas oh my god but yeah development on basing so continued and it eventually launched in april 2018 and that is your story of this developer up until the launch of the game we're talking about today hmm. sales wise i do have sales figures and maybe the best sales figures we may ever have on Stealth Boom Boom. Almost certainly. In, again, a post that Caspian Prince put out on the Puppy Games Patreon that I just mentioned. On the 12th of June, 2018, Prince said the game had been a massive flop. So here's your quote. The first week of a game's release is a surprisingly accurate indicator of how well it's going to do in its entire first year. And Basingstoke made us enough money to last just one single week in return for its four years of development. And is likely by the time a year has gone by to make about one month's money. End quote. Ouch. Proper ouch. Mm. And that's not all because thanks to an incredible two-part post-mortem that they put up on their Patreon, I can tell you even more cold hard facts. As of January 2020, the game had sold 9,415 units on Steam. They'd sold a few more on other storefronts, but they themselves say they don't bump the number up too much. Steam was the, the big one. The net revenue, with eight and a half grand spent on marketing taken out, 
was £32,698.47 over the course of four years. Prince said this on the post, quote, I personally put in tens of thousands of dollars into the development of Basingstoke. You millennials reading this and dreaming one day of owning your own shoebox to live in will probably splutter your chai lattes all over your avocado toast as you realise how much money I spaffed away on a single game project. Enough to get a deposit on a fancy house. So Basingstoke financially ruined me and my family. Sorry, Mrs. P and kids. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. That's cutting, isn't it? It's, yeah. Like, as I said, the post-mortem is incredibly transparent and mm. they are kind of in general and we'll talk more about it in a second because this is usually the part where I would tell you the critical reception of Basingstoke and I can't. I just I just can't. <laughs> there aren't enough reviews out there for this game to have a Metacritic score or an open critic score or anything like that. Huh. But yeah, that is your Basingstoke back of the box. So we're going to take a quick little break and then we are going to be back to talk about the marketing and press coverage of Basingstoke, not the place, the video game. Let's chat about some of the marketing and press coverage around Basingstoke and kind of the lack thereof, I suppose. But we're, we're good. That, that'll be a, a thread throughout the podcast, I suppose. But firstly, and a, a lot of these things come from Puppy Games blog and their Patreon and whatnot. Like the first thing that uh, is a little bit difficult on an audio medium. But to give you an example of some of the stuff they were doing on their blog, They had these things called postcards from Basingstoke. The first one they published in mid-July 2016. And they did about 54 in total up until March 2017. So I think the idea was to keep them going until the game came out, but uh, they, they stopped and, you know, the game came out about a year afterwards. They're just sort of, I I suppose, setting up the world of Basingstoke. And also they are in-game items, I should say. You can actually like collect these these postcards. But I know off off mic, Adam, you were saying you you quite enjoyed these just as a a little marketing uh, thing from Puppy Games themselves. Yeah, because look, early, early kind of analysis on it, I suppose. But I adore how this game looks. So having these to look over was quite charming because mm. there, the style, I suppose, and the overall look of the game is very, we'll get more into it now, but like, especially in the postcards, there's one in particular where they're, all, they're in the pub and just, it just looks like two lads like having a great time in the pub and, you know, someone's taking a photo, but you, you can see what, obviously the style, but there's a very kind of, it, it kind of looks like a really polished, really polished looking like South Park image. In ways like the way, <laughs> yeah. like kind of a Terence and Philip kind of thing, or like it has this mixture of Roblox, I guess, I suppose. But like, mm, it's yeah, just yeah. It, it, it's really quirky looking, and they're they're a lot of fun to go over. Uh, yeah, another thing they used as well as their blog was their Patreon, and it was essentially something for them to be 
I suppose, incredibly clear, a word I used earlier and I probably used throughout, is just the transparency that's mm. there is mm. wild. Like just one I shared with you lads was from them posted on the 16th of February on their Patreon where they're just kind of talking about what they're getting up to and they're getting ready to do the PC Gamer Weekender and they're sending out bills of the game to uh, to patrons who are supporting them. Oh, what, what's the most open? The, 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 the chap who did Monaco, I remember, was really refreshingly yep. open. I forget his name. Andy Schatz. Lovely, lovely blogs when he was walking. <laughs> in. But these guys, the, the brutal honesty. Of, I mean, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the post-mortems in a bit. But... I like the sort of granular detail they have with the audience, you know. Oh, this thing's like a little bit slower now. This other thing's a little bigger. Just just really like candy. Like there's no barrier, I guess is what I'm saying. There's like this, it's completely, and that's great. I don't know if I would want that with every, imagine if we could lift the lid on like Nintendo. There are some things where, <laughs> where like the mystique is good, but then on the other end of the spectrum, this this sort of thing is brilliant. Another thing where you could follow the, the progress of Basingstoke kind of marketing, I guess, was from one of the three developers working on the game on the YouTube channel Alicorn. They were posting little clips of Basingstoke spanning about three years of development. The first one on the 25th of June, 2014. And from what I can find, I think it's the earliest example of like just straight up raw gameplay. And you can already see, I'm remembering us chatting about Ghost of a Tale and how, you know, we were looking at like early alpha footage of that and comparing it to the final product. And here in in that first video, it's... You know, you can see the the torch that the person is using. You can see like the kind of chibi art style as well of the characters. Yeah, it sort of seemed pretty fully formed. And one thing I did want to ask you about was uh, kind of because of something that we're going to talk about from the Basingstoke post-mortem when we talk about that in a second. But the trailer, the release trailer for Basingstoke, Mm. one minute, 42 seconds long. And to try and explain it uh, to the to the listeners, you're basically getting a setup of the world. You're seeing a bit of gameplay. You're getting quotes from a few publications. Yeah, they're trying to set up how you play the game. But I don't know. It just seemed like information overload to me as a trailer. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure and also they uh, they don't misrepresent the game like you say there is you know gameplay and, and stuff in there but it's quite a curated trailer and it's quite funny and it's it's sort of uh willfully obtuse for the sake of humor you know they do the sort of you're welcome to omnicorp and all this sort of stuff um and and it's nice actually but it but it gives this this impression having played the game of like a way more um curated story or sort of cohesive world and actually like a lot of the stuff that's that's in the trailer is over in sort of like 30 seconds in the game and then the sort of experience of playing is quite different there's a real kind of um like sort of stanley parable uh vibe or you know mm. that kind of corporate humor Quirky kind of thing yeah but quite are you i wouldn't have come out of that trailer thinking oh, I know exactly what that game is and I'm now excited for it. Like, even the trailer's just like, okay, there's a shot of some, like, little rabbits 
jumping up and down and then a skeleton fella next to a sign that says welcome to basing stoke <laughs> like just yeah uh, like i I, th- I think what you said there like it, it's it's a lot you know it's it's a, a long enough trailer and there's yeah. a lot of information but i'm not sure if it's communicated in a way where you kind of taking the important parts <laughs> yeah for sure yeah i didn't really see it like that no myself personally um like the information overload of it and all i, I don't know i think it's just maybe it's different now because i've played the game and then you see the trailer afterwards one of those kind of things you know but looking at it if i was to not have played the game and just watch that trailer first i would just see it as being yeah this is one of those kind of indie game trailers it's just trying to be very kind of out there and it, it, I think it's more kind of wanting people to look at its style. Oh, that's, that's definitely true. Yeah, you know, it's like, sure. this, is the, this is the visual style and look at these weird kind of characters and uh, as you said, it, it shows really kind of the opening of the game, I guess, but like, I think it does a pretty good job for anyone that's kind of like into these types of games. I wouldn't have said like... You wouldn't think it's a stealth game from that trailer, would you? No. But I, I think overall, it's it, it, like... Jeez, we, we'll go on about the teaser trailer later on for another reason, but like, it's definitely the better trailer, <laughs> whether you think it's information overload or not. So yeah, let's let's talk about some of the press coverage around Basingstoke. I mean, I say, so, like, <laughs> like, there were a few other articles. Uh, there was like one on PC Gamer, there was two, I think, on Rock, Paper, Shotgun. But like the most interesting one I could find was posted on the 19th of November, 2014 on, and I have a feeling we're never going to mention them again. So I really want to, <laughs> I want to drink this in. The article was titled computer game set in Basingstoke to be released next year. And it was on the pages of the Basingstoke Gazette. Mental. The entire article <laughs> is outstanding. And I'm going to give you a bit of the article and this is, Verbatim. While the layout of the game map does not resemble Basingstoke, it does feature a sign to the M3, <laughs> and developers hope to include the Wote Street Willy and <laughs> Festival Place by the time of its planned release date next summer. Caspian Prince, director of Puppy Games, the Somerset firm that is making the game, said, quote, The object of the game, like any person who finds themselves in Basingstoke, is to get as far away from it as you possibly can, end quote. <laughs> Mr. Prince said he lived in Basingstoke for a year in 2008, staying in a house in Scarlatti Road, Brighton Hill, while he was contracted at Sony. He said, quote, My garden backed onto the M3, so there was this constant river of noise that ground my soul away. There is some British humour to this, and the rest of the world may or may not get. I obviously do not harbour any ill feelings against Basingstoke. It is a small town like any other. <laughs> That's excellent. Have you guys seen the Wote Street Willy? I have no idea what the Wote Street Willy is, but I'm going to Google it now. The Wote Street Willy looks like all of the people in Basingstoke, and it's quite funny. It- does <laughs> but it's also just a statue that looks like a penis so that's funny as well <laughs> and it's called willy and it's called willy as well so you know Wote street willy are you familiar with the like is this no i uh, <laughs> i've no, i should say i've not been to basingstoke i harbor no ill will against basingstoke much like the developer of this game uh, but I I looked into the I couldn't not do a little bit of extra research based on the Basingstoke Gazette article. I had to know what the Wote Street Willy was. Um, and it's not in the I didn't see it in the game. No, sad days for Wote Street Willy fans. I don't think it is in the game unless 
you could argue that all of the characters are an homage to the Woke Street Willie. Really. If there are any, ba- oh, we could even get some Basingstoke reactions to Basingstoke, you know? In many ways, Josh, are we not all a bit Wart Street Willie? I suppose we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sobering point. <laughs> and the last thing I wanted to bring up is kind of not really, I don't know, maybe it shouldn't be in this section, but... It is maybe one of the more interesting things, and I kind of referenced it earlier, but yes, the post-mortem that Poppy Games did on their Patreon. They did a two-part post-mortem in February 2020, and specifically I wanted to look at a few things they mentioned in part two, where they're kind of talking about like what went wrong, and there's just a ton in it, and so many, so many interesting little points, but... I have a few here. So they've one from, uh, or one talking about the publisher for Basingstoke. So, quote, In the final run-up to release, our publishers, who were formerly very interested in the game, suddenly weren't. This was perplexing. The game was slick as, and indeed of a higher quality and polish than many other titles coming out, and a whole dimension more awesome than anything we'd done before. And we'd even done nearly all the work. And being in Unity, it was going to be a cinch to port. They don't say how soon to release the publisher pulled out Mm. or at what point. But I mean, God, talk about a kicker. Then on PR, they said, quote, The PR company we hired that was meant to do a coming soon press release with the teaser video two weeks before the release never sent the release. Then they sent the launch PR with the teaser video in it, which had very little actual game footage rather than the actual launch trailer. I'm not sure quite how they managed to screw it up, but there we go. And before we talk about it all, one final thing they said about Steam. They said, quote, I think the week we released also had some sort of monster slash prom themed dating game that was trendy and was selling buckets. These days, if you're not in the number one spot in a week, you're fucked. And we were second. That's rough. I mean, you mentioned a while ago, Adam, but yeah, that's the terrible tale about the the teaser video versus the actual trailer. The teaser trailer gives off nothing like I know like it's supposed to be a teaser trailer but like holy shit when it's supposed to be the release trailer you can understand the frustration you can mm. you, you can see how it can't be like fixed or sorted out or whatever is beyond me well you you say you say that but as somebody who you know worked on both sides of the the divide and like let's say when I was getting emails either when I was working at Video Gamer or Rock Paper Shotgun if I'm getting emails from PR about a game and I click on it and the one I click on has the teaser video that's like 30 seconds ish long and 10 seconds of that is maybe uh, you know either white text and a black background or uh, just the logo at the end and it doesn't really tell me much about the game Mm. and another email is sent out, maybe I don't look at it. You kind of need to get it right first go. Mm. Like even if they did maybe send out another PR blast and go, sorry about that. People have gone, I've seen it already. I'm moving on now. That's the very, very harsh reality of it. To not, to fully not send the release seems a bit bonkers though. I mean, that just seems like a mistake or... Well, I mean, it is a mistake, 100%, yeah. What, what's fascinating about this overall kind of thing that he's talking about like is... Yes, there is obviously a sense of uh, just rage and an annoyance. Like there's no two ways about it. Anyone would be. 
but the honesty like there's a part to me that's just like when he says like say about um the publisher and he kind of mentions all oh, like that the game was slick as and it was an, uh, and indeed of a higher quality and polished like that's that's I, I believe that like it, it mastered so because the game is all of what is being described I feel like I, I like we'll get to it more later on no but it is it is very slick it, there is a, a high kind of sense of polish around the whole game yeah. so for the publisher to just be like whatever like it just it, it's it's really strange overall because as you say if you type in Bayes and stuff yes you get the place whatever first and you type it into Google or whatever but to find anything on this game and then to read all this stuff it's it's mad it's just mad even if you type in like after going through all this kind of stuff I went on YouTube if you type in Basingstoke game on YouTube even alone there's a handful of things that come up on it like a handful one of the sad things about it as well is that I actually remember Monster Prom. Yeah, so do I. So do I. <laughs> and like when I read that and he was just like, if you're not number one uh, in a week, you're fucked. And we were second. It, I got this pang of recognition and just sort of sadness. And I sort of smiled and I just thought, fuck, they're right. I do remember Monster Prom. I've never played Monster Prom. It's got a good name. Um, but I do remember it that week. Honestly, I'm going to say this now, right? Like, out of all the episodes we've done on this podcast so far, this actual article, The Bays and So Ports Mortem Part 2, blew my mind. It blew my mind, like, because, yeah, we're talking about some, some little bits there, some highlights, but it's so worth the read, right, because of the sheer honesty that's going on. And I think one of the things, and this is a fascinating one, because we, when we were discussing this game before, like, well, like putting it on the list to play or whatever, even on this thing, they talk about, the launch price. Yeah. They go, oh, the launch price being 30 bucks. Did that cause an issue? Do you know, like it, it went on sale here and there to trying a base price of 20 with discounts. And like, I think going forward, they're saying like the next game is going to be free to play. Like, yeah. And yeah, yeah. It, it, to me, like for anyone, like who's going to look into this game, or even play it, like this article is worth it alone because like they talk about like what they made a year like approximately like it was like 3,270 euro per year each yeah yeah for sure they did break down everything and it is a very like if I was a game developer and Jesus uh, just one person anyway just at home doing it I, if I read this I'd be like oh Jesus that's <laughs> that's that's hardcore like you know it's, it's a it's a very hardcore read but I respect the honesty like that's within this whole thing but like oh yeah it's it's mad because you look at it and we're going we're going to talk about the game on general but like I, I was just blown away after playing the game and then reading all this so i was like holy smokes i think one of the things about the post-mortem that's that's that is tough is that there doesn't seem to be but there's two things the first thing is it kind of has a happy ending depending on which way you look at it because right at the end he's like what lessons have we learned and then he just goes i guess none because we're right back at it developing our next game which really made me smile i thought oh that's lovely but then the other thing was that there isn't an awful there are basic human things as they point out you know they're like we should have 
probably done, um, you know, less stuff in Slack and actually just picked up the phone and could have solved lots of things in like 15 minutes rather than long drawn out arguments that we had on Slack, which is true of any industry, any just, that's just a human thing. Fair enough. But there is one thing where it's like, oh shit, you know, is it a bad title for a video game? Well, yeah. Okay. Maybe it is. It's actually sort of brilliant as well, but He's, the, the really tough thing is this it doesn't seem to me that like there's that much of a lesson to tell. the lesson is steam's got a mysterious algorithm and anyone making any game sort of has to cast their hat into the wind and just sort of see what happened to a degree you know it's like yeah 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 you you were you were there are other things you can change but I mean, they are, they are right. Like some of the games that do well, as he pointed out in that thing is like, is there a correlation between a good game and a good title? Sometimes, but sometimes it's not. There's some absolutely fucking bonkers titles out there for stuff that does okay. Um, but yeah, I'm not saying there's no takeaways. It's just that there was an element of chaos. There was an element of pure chance. I thought, oh man, that's so rough. Second place. (laughs) I I would add that. Yeah, like Steam algorithm to a degree, hundred percent. But if you get wish lists, Steam loves you. Like it's mm. it's as simple as that. Mm. Like if if you get people to wish list your game, Valve go brilliant front of the store. That's the name of the game on on PC. Really, like there's there's interesting things of even mentioning like controller support for the game. Like never again will will they touch it or something because they just think it 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 says controllers suck. Like the programming of it all. Was he serious? I read that and I laughed because his thing said controllers suck. The API suck. I have no good things to say about controllers. Awesome. And he goes, if you can avoid designing a game that can be played with a controller, I recommend that you do that. <laughs> Which is funny, but it, I sort of thought, is he serious about that? But like at the same time, like before even reading this, I was kind of like holy shit because I said it in our chat I was like oh I'm just having the worst time with the controller like I had to go straight to mouse and keyboard looking at the game you'd be kind of thinking oh this looks like an absolute belter to play with a controller I suppose yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it, it absolutely wasn't and you know I'd say they like probably took a fair amount of time trying to figure that out and out of any of the games we've covered so far this part just like really kind of just blew my mind. Yeah, I would recommend our listeners have a read of it and and any prospective developers probably. Mm, gotcha. It's kind of a cautionary tale, but as you say, Josh, it's like any takeaways, we're doing it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which made me smile. I thought a part of me was just like my heart sort of soared at that. I was like, yes, <laughs> their passion hasn't died. That's brilliant. So there is your marketing and press coverage and wider look very in-depth look at Basingstoke, but we've made reference to it a few times. We did also play the game. We did. So we should probably talk about that. With, with, with a controller, I should add. <laughs> yeah. I, I did anyway. So yeah, let's take a quick little break and then we will be back to talk about our thoughts on what Basingstoke is actually like as a video game. Imagine that. So right... Let us talk and get into the, the meat of Basingstoke with our thoughts on the game itself. But before we do, I want to know, and I have a feeling this is gonna, you're going to give me short answers, but I want to know your knowledge of Basingstoke before you played it for this podcast. Let's all answer on three, one, two, three, nothing. Never heard nothing. Of it at all. I was busy playing Monster Prom. <laughs> 
do. Yeah, this was an interesting one. None of us knew. Like, I, maybe I might have heard, but like, even at that, I'm, uh, I don't think so. No, I, I laughed when you said, when, on the last episode, the first time you said it, I, I, I laughed when I heard the name. I was just like, what, what the place? But no, nah, never heard of it. Before we talk about our thoughts on the game, let us let the listener know what you actually do, I suppose. I've given you the story, but let me tell you how the gameplay actually works. So, in Basingstoke, your goal in each of the game's levels is to travel from your starting point to the end point without being seen by the enemy. Because if you're seen, you are in grave danger. And I mean grave danger, because one hit from most enemies and you will be dead. Uh, you are able to purchase an item That allows you to save mid-level, but if you haven't activated that item and you die, you go back to the beginning of the level. And as you're going through each level, you're constantly picking up money that can be used at certain points in levels to purchase items and weapons like the save item I just mentioned. You'll also be picking up loot. Some uh, will be weapons like a truncheon or a stun gun, while... Other loot where you pick up will be items that you can then craft into something useful like a weapon or a distraction item. Also, when you perform certain challenges, you unlock other classes. So you start with a base class, but then there are about seven or eight in total, I believe, in the whole game. And each class starts with bonus items. So, for example, if you get 50 kills with a gun with any character, you unlock the army class. And if you play as them, you begin the game with a submachine gun and grenades. But the thing is, when you play as a different class, you must also start the game over because each class has their own progression throughout the game. As well, I should say, when you die, the level layout changes. I know I mentioned this earlier, but it does bear repeating. The stages in Basingstoke are procedurally generated. So you can't necessarily learn the layouts of levels. Yeah. So basically, it's go from A to B and don't get caught because God help you if you are. (laughs) And yeah, that's pretty much Basingstoke. So if you're a regular listener, you will be well aware, but how... our reviews normally work is firstly we talk about the game stealth then we talk about its boom boom then we talk about the most noteworthy mission level or area in a game then we talk about the story and then we talk about miscellaneous if we have anything else to add so let us talk about the stealth then josh wise why don't you start us off because We've done a lot of doom and gloom, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Give us a little bit of a pick-me-up here, because I think, I, I believe the words you used were that you quite liked the stealth. I did. It's, you know, it's uh, line of sight, for a start. Always a fan of line of sight. So, you know, you can kind of walk behind cars, or, I mean, not the Woke Street Willy, famously, but you can, like, sort of other bits of debris and stuff, you can kind of hide behind They've kind of got this thing going that the main thing with the stealth is uh, sort of like noise. So there's kind of like a creep mechanic that you can use to not do that. The, the thing that kind of annoyed me about basics, I, I, when I got it, when I sort of got some of the stuff down, it was good and I started to have fun. But the game doesn't do a great job of like telling you its mechanics and stuff. So unless I missed something, I learned how to sneak 
by dying like a couple of times, <laughs> like a couple of times. And then the loading, the death screen said, oh, if you hold LB, you can, you can sneak. And I was like, right. Okay. That would have been dandy if you pop that in a tutorial at the beginning, you know, uh, mm. there, there's just, there was just, just a, a few little sort of bits like that where I kind of bumped up against its design. But basically, um, there's a torch which helps you see stuff and you can turn that off and then you will be less visible. Uh, you, It's a good idea to generally, uh, uh, well, walk, not run, but actually the best thing to do is just run for like a couple of seconds and then just walk for a second and then run again and then walk and then run again. Because they've got this funny thing in Basingstoke where if you run, it generates a sound wave and makes you very, very spottable. But it only generates that sound wave after like three seconds of like full on running. So you can just be really agile um, and just run basically to your heart's content. If you just press LB every like three seconds to clip it back down to a little sneak and you only sneak for like half a second and then run again. So you can just be like a full on nutty ninja in this game if you just get that basic trick down and it took me like i think i looked at my steam count and it was like 37 minutes of just playing the game and then that was the point at which i sort of went okay i've got this game wrangled i understand it and i would have rathered like a sort of tutorial i guess there was sort of a tutorial at the at the very beginning. I mean, basic stuff like it told you how to like pick stuff up and chuck stuff, right? But it's actual stealth mechanics. It did not really take you through those, I feel. No. But to sum up, I quite liked it. There's a little, a bit like Ghost of a Tale, and I'm going to forget what the trick was in Ghost of the Tale. There's a bit of a trick to it. And once you've got that trick, it's like, oh, this is actually, I can sort of get about like nobody's business. But it's fun. It's good. And the atmosphere... Sort of comes together and it's it's quite tense and you sort of uh, decent stealth would be my would be my sum up. What about you, Adam? Because I know you've written down on a little doc that having uh, having a tough time of it at points. Mm, mm. Well, as like what you were saying there, Josh, about how like you could master that sound wave kind of situation and mm. whatever. I would love to have seen. I'd love to see somebody do that and be able to go wow look at that person get through this level without causing any sort of commotion uh because for me it always was commotion like it was there's so much madness happening all the time and it like i always think each level started like with this great level of tension and you got your line inside you you got your torch which we'll talk about in a minute there but um the the kind of like slowly getting on, just kind of figuring out the, the lay of this kind of run right now was very exciting. But I it was it was very, very, very brief those moments for me because I just felt like I just kept I was just terrible at getting caught. I was just like, there we go. <laughs> and then I'd run, I'd panic, I'd be all over the place, and then I'd run to another room. Oh, how's it going, lads? More of you here. Right, come after me there now. Here we go. And I felt like that that happened Every time, every time for me. And like I would constantly, I was very cautious the whole way through each run. I'd be 
just going very slow, monitoring that kind of that that little sound wave thing, and I'd be like, cool, because there's a lot of moments as well. You have to like watch what you're stepping on and things like that, which is which is really fun, mm. um, because it's it's like a little mini game in itself. And do you know when you kind of start seeing those kind of mechanics within this game, it it just starts showing how much they actually thought of to put in for for the stealth side of it. Yeah, I would love. I as I said, I would love to see somebody play this game full stealth because. Boy, oh boy, there's no way I could do it. No way I could do it whatsoever. But kind of to your point earlier, Josh, about the trailer and it not looking like a stealth game. Like, there's no way to play this but stealth. Like, this isn't an immersive same where you can go in all guns blazing <laughs> or maybe you can sneak in through. It's like, no, like, this is... This is maybe one of the stealthiest games oh, yeah. we have, have looked at thus far. Which kind of brings me on to one point I wanted to talk about, which is how... This game is really just about escaping Basingstoke and not about killing the monsters sneakily while escaping Basingstoke. Yeah, for sure. I'm not, I'm not saying I want this from all my stealth games. It would be very weird if Diana rang up 47 and was just like, yeah, just get from A to B and that's all you have to do. <laughs> just get out of there. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do like it occasionally. And even if you look at some of the games we've spoken about on here, some of them do similar to another point I want to make. So you have Penumbra, you've Tenshu as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Basically what I'm getting at is that in Basingstoke, there's no real benefit to knocking out or killing an enemy. But, and what I mean by that is they're not going to drop cash or loot, so taking them on is kind of a fool's errand. Oh, I see what you... Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The game tells you to avoid enemies yeah. by not introducing a benefit to killing or knocking out an enemy. Mm. It's a total last resort. Like, if you walk into a room and there's something right in front of you, an, an enemy right in front of you, or if an enemy has cornered you, that's when you strike. Yeah. But Basingstoke, from very early on, it communicates that you are so much weaker than your enemies. So you should instead try to avoid them at all costs. Now, that's in the moment. Like technically there is a benefit kind of, you know, what I was saying earlier, I mentioned that 50 kills with a gun unlocks the army class. Uh, For example, if you whack a fella on the uh, head 50 times with a truncheon, then you unlock the police class. So there are wider game benefits, but like in the moment during your run, there is zero benefit, really, to going all guns blazing with bad. I did find I did find there was. Um, this isn't really something that was communicated to me by the game because the game is like super hands off in a lot of ways. But there was one benefit I found in, and it popped up just a couple of times. Um, and it was one of them was when I had to open a door. And the door had that little mechanic where you have to wait while they unlock it. And it's never very long. It's like a couple of seconds or so, but it can be quite tense. You know, there's Mm. people there and there was a door I had to get to get through. And this happened to got one of the other ones was like the same thing, but with a prison cell. And it was like a few, quite a few monsters. Like if I'd have, you know, made some noise, I'd have been dead very much. So, so one of the things that I found that I did was to lure them into a little cluster by like chucking a sandwich because they're, 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 that's that sort of unlocks the whole game right there, just kind of luring them into a thing. But I lured them all into a little cluster and then just lobbed a flashbang in there and they all were just unconscious. And then I could just quickly run up to the door, do my business and get out of there. So that would be like the one benefit if you've got that down as a tactic that you want to do. 
then knocking them out is good. But yeah, other than that, yeah, it's just a defense. If you, if it all goes tits up, then. But that's, yeah, it's a defense. It's a way, you know, you came across a hurdle that they were sort of, you know, you needed to get somewhere. For sure. There are enemies around. In this game, you're not going from A to B and avoiding them, but you look over and it's like, oh, there's a cluster of them over there. If I knock them out, I'll get XP or I'll get loot or I'll get, no, you don't. You don't get anything. So if you have a clear path, take it, buddy. Like, that's what the game is telling you. And I, I really like it in this. And yeah, it, com- yeah. it communicates that very well by your first message on screen when you start the game. Or not, the, I suppose the first one is the interview. But like when you're properly taking control and the game is starting, it's escape basing stock, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's it. But I know another thing I think you mentioned, Josh, was the like tension and all that. And you found, yeah, the, the music and the sound design added to that and added to the scariness and the stealthiness I thought it was great I thought it made a really good yeah I thought it was great too like the first impression well the first impression was actually all over the place but one of the things of the first impression I was just sneaking about and I just thought wow of all the games we've played we've played a couple of horror games uh there's always a, a sort of a balance to, to manage between being scared and being stealthy. Like when we were talking about Remothered, I think for you guys, uh, the, you know, the balance just tipped the whole, the, the other way. You never felt particularly like good at stealth in that game. You just either panicked and ran away from danger because you were, you know, afraid of getting caught or, or impatient with the game. But Basingstoke managed it really well, I thought. Like it, the, the, the way the music builds up, I thought was great. Um, that little sort of percussive thing that kind of ratchets up, especially when enemies are near. Um, and the sound, you can hear them sort of growling and doing their little noises. So you can kind of almost place them. Like I played with headphones on and you can sort of kind of twig where they are. And it really, when I'm sort of doing my little jogging trick and like turning my torch off, it was this lovely, lovely tension that kind of builds up. And I did think to myself, I'm being a sneaky little sneak here. And that's great, but also, and I feel kind of empowered, but also vulnerable because I know I'll get my bloody head kicked in if any of them see me. So it's this lovely little balance and it, that balance is a tough thing to achieve, I think. So fair play, they, they sort of nailed it here. One thing that I think they nailed definitely was the flashlight. Yes. Mm-hmm. I really can't say enough about it. Mm. You mentioned it earlier, Josh, but to go in a little bit more in depth, in Basingstoke, the, the torch is the item that you will always have in the game. You don't need to worry about batteries. It just, whenever you need to call upon it, it'll work. It'll always be there. It's your best friend in Basingstoke. But in some ways, your worst enemy. Ooh, redone. Dear reader. <laughs> the, the majority of Basingstoke, it, it takes place in, in darkness or dim light. Also, and this makes the flashlight even more powerful, when you turn it on, the camera zooms out, allowing you to see more of the environment. Because when your light is off, the camera is very, very close on the character. And you'll only see a, a sort of a select patch around your, your, the, the character you're controlling. I adore this mm. because it makes sense. When my light is turned off, of course I can't see silhouettes 50 feet in front of me or the general outline of buildings or whatever because it's dark, you know. I, I haven't had enough carrots and my eyes are brutal. Big <laughs> thumbs up there. Like so often in other games, a flashlight will brighten an area that you can already see. Mm. Whereas in Basingstoke, it makes a much greater difference. Much, much greater difference. And I didn't think we'd get another. When we talked about Monaco, 
I didn't think we'd get another game that would sort of deal with vision and because it, you know, it is very similar to Monaco, the mm. way that it shines. You get darkness whenever there are pillars and windows and stuff that you can't see, and then you shine the flashlight through, and you can you can. See. It's sort of the only other game, the Monaco, that kind of taps into that. I think it's pretty ingenious, really. Also, I I mentioned that you collect money and loot in the game. And you typically get that from bodies on the floor. But I mean, in, in kind of like pockets, um, like in boxes and stuff as well. But yeah. when it comes to stuff that you pick up on corpses, firstly, you have to shine your light on them. Yeah. And then once you do that, your character will recognize that the body has something on it. And by that, I just mean the body will have a white out- outline around it. Mm. And then you can go over and you can collect whatever the item is or the money is or whatever it is. And again, it's a little touch, but one that solidifies the importance of the torch. Mm. If I thought about it for longer than a second, maybe I'd come up with another game that does this, but I, I can't now. No, it's, yeah, I can't. Every office. game that's popping into my head, even the horror games where you're constantly, you know, you have a flashlight and you're constantly turning on and off. I'm pretty sure the light isn't integral in finding items on bodies. Mm. You're able to just loot bodies even in the dark. Like it is, it's, it's the ultimate risk versus reward because I would say the number one thing like I know you said it was sound Josh and yeah, mm. I, I can of course see that but I found that for me what alerted aliens and Basingstoke was the flashlight. Its beam has a serious range on it so you'll often blind a monster when you're just kind of scouring an area and then initiate a chase sequence where you go looking for an empty building before you get caught. Yeah. But like, you you have to use it. Like, you you can't not. Although, although I should just say here, and I don't know if you guys got this, but I did feel it's... It, we didn't break the game. Did you guys find the laser pointer? No, I can't say I did. Okay, well, the laser pointer just allows you to do that without the light. You just shine it on stuff and it lets you know if that stuff is lootable um, but doesn't alert enemies. So it kind of breaks that hold. Uh, well, it doesn't break it. It's a it's a narrow beam and you have to point it on, whereas the torch just is a much wider beam and exposes everything. So the laser pointer, with some good swiveling, you can sort of get the best of both worlds, which I really liked. But it's complete luck if you find it, isn't it? Because it's sort of randomly stashed away owing to its roguey nature. I just remember I did find a laser pointer, but the laser pointer runs off batteries, doesn't it? Uh... I'm pretty sure it does. So that is the, the thing where the torch is just... It's always there. It is the, the torch in this game is the equivalent to the glow stick in Penumbra. It's, you can use it and you needn't worry about. It'll never run out. Exactly. Like how important it is. Like I was talking about, you know, the the bodies on the ground. Like if you come into an area and you, you see a couple of corpses over there, like you flick on the, the torch, you shine it the, the way of the bodies and then you turn it off. Mm. That's kind of how this game works. Like even when you're going from A to B, it's you turn it on, you flick around, you have a little look left to right, you turn off. You can't leave it on constantly mm. because even though like it doesn't run on batteries, you're not wasting any energy or anything like that. It's just if you're going from A to B, you just turn it on, you start walking, you're going to alert everything around you. I do think it is, it's difficult to manage, but I thought the torch, because some things I do think, but the torch isn't unfair. I suppose one that comes to mind 
is the camera in Outlast. I remember being a very nifty little gadget. I was thinking about that, but to, to your earlier question, I did when you said, oh, I can't think of any games at the top of my head, I did think of Outlast. It, I don't know that it exposed what was lootable so much as it just exposed what was there. Like, it was just the risk was using it and running over your battery. Yeah, for sure. I will say I never ran out of... I didn't even know the laser pointer used batteries. I must have never run out then. I believe it does. Perhaps I just found... Perhaps I got lucky with some batteries but honestly when I got that I just sort of stopped using the torch for like- <laughs> it was it was a bit bonkers actually but I may have actually just uh, I did find I do remember finding quite a few batteries because I also had the stun gun as well but we'll, we'll get to that anyway but yeah doesn't doesn't take away it is an ingenious mechanic the torch I know you were a, a fan of it too Adam weren't you you're massively yeah everything you said is I, I, I echo that I just think that it's funny whenever you play a, a kind of a survival horror game or anything like that I always feel it's the gun and the torch and it's nearly the torch you want first <laughs> yeah. over the gun because you're just I need to see where I'm going this is terrifying and I think like it just added incredible tension for for the style of the game the the visual style of it anyway you can't can't really be saying like it it's terrifying oh god it's it's not that kind of thing like you know but with with its sound design and this torch mechanic it does make it quite scary Mm. and like with headphones on especially you you are on edge because using that torch to as you say call them like when you're shining at a body or something that to find an item it's 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 once again it's it's added to the tension with the fact that the the levels are procedurally generated. So like every time, it's always new. It's not like you go into the same room and you go, I know there's a guy in here and I can do that and get that item. So every single time, like you play the game, the torch is an item that's so fresh to use. I've just thought, just as a smaller side, the only other game I can I can think of that did it that well. Do you guys remember? Not the re-released version, crucially, but like the original version of Doom Three. Oh okay, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Before like the duct tape mod, they did that really well because you had to choose. And it's spot on with what you said, Adam, because it's like the main thing is that I want to see because I'm fucking scared right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you had to put your gun down. So it, it was quite different to basic stuff. But, it, but, but in hitting that risk reward thing with the torch, it was pretty ingenious. You had to choose to put the torch away and then get your gun out. So when you just wanted to see the environment, you did feel vulnerable. And I think basic Stoke taps into that quite nicely. Very, very few games have actually. Mm-hmm. Shout out to torch mechanics everywhere. <laughs> It also tapped into the fear some people have when it comes to plastic bollards, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never look at them the same again. Yeah, this is maybe just me, but, uh, and obviously this is before I'd looked into the Woke Street Willy, but, um... (laughs) When I saw, and it's funny because those plastic bollards just from life are actually in the game as well. Um, But because of the isometric viewpoint, some of the little enemy fellas would be looking the other way as I just see the back of their heads. (laughs) And I thought they were those little, you know, those sort of luminous plastic bollards that you get on the islands and like the middle of road crossings and stuff like that. I don't know what they're called. I'm calling them plastic bollards, so we'll we'll go with that. And I thought they would, you know, they were just, so I just sort of like, you know, went out on my little jaunty jog, put the torch on to look around and all of a sudden just stumbled into him and it's a one shot and I'm dead instantly. So, So then I just became very paranoid the plastic bollards which aren't all lit up 
So like, uh, you got, like there would there be other times where I just but sort of be a little bit too nervous when trying to cross a road in Basingstoke. Just sort of like, is that bollard going to come alive and kill me? <laughs> so I don't know. I don't want to. That might not be a criticism. That's just what the art style is. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's just the shape of those plastic bollards in real life and possibly in real Basingstoke. So who knows? Either way. It was annoying. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that is what we thought about the stealth. So let's take a quick break and then we'll be back to chat about the boom boom. So, right, this section of the podcast is generally where we talk about the explosions and the weapons and the combat and kind of anything else that fits into uh, the gameplay of of the games we discuss here on Stealth Boom Boom. So, I would like to start us off, lads, after praising the torch, the flashlight. This this is, this game is hard, isn't it? Very, very hard game. It's a very hard game. I'm pretty sure I even said this on this very podcast, that I'm totally cool with not being a super powered action man mm-hmm. I definitely mentioned it on the Ghost of a Tale podcast maybe something else too but similar to horror and I suppose this is kind of why the genres go together so well you probably shouldn't feel like you're in total control when it comes to a, a stealth slash stealthy game because once you do like if it's a game where you're going for tension the tension is gone right and of course, getting a shootout section is fun after you've had an area where you've, you know, been skulking around enemies. But anyway, in Basingstoke, you might eventually end up with some decent weaponry. But as I said earlier, it is very much about going around enemies rather than going in, kind of facing them head on. And the reason for that is that most enemies will obliterate you in one hit, <laughs> whether that's depending on the enemy, whether that's a chomp or a swipe or a whatever, one hit from an enemy and you are just donezo. I mean, they don't hide this fact. Like Basingstoke, it's a roguelike. That means that, yeah, when you die, you do go back to either the beginning of a level or back to a point where you used the item that you can uh, save. Mm. It's a one-use item. Brilliantly in the game, it's called a life insurance policy. But yeah, (laughs) single use. So once you've used it, that's gone unless you buy another one. But the enemies are so, they're just so overpowered. You can easily end up losing a good amount of progress in a level just like that. And in fact, I mentioned feeling weak a minute ago, but what I said there probably captures my feelings a bit more. It's almost not like you're weak. It's that the enemies are so powerful. And there's just so many of them. So many. Yeah, you're overwhelmed. Like, yeah, I, I will say like levels in Basingstoke, they're in some cases pretty big, but they're not outrageously big. Right. So it's almost like losing a few minutes of progress isn't even necessarily the problem. The problem is that you keep losing those few minutes over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You end up repeating a section countless times. And I don't want to cannibalise my own words because I'm 100% going to talk about this in the next section. Mm. But look, if you keep booting me into the ground without occasionally giving me a pat on the head, I'm going to find that demoralising. <laughs> <laughs> I believe, Adam, from what you've written on this document, I believe you feel similar. Yes. Uh, look, I wrote in the document, it's a tad bit dramatic, but I said it makes Dark Souls look like Barney the Dinosaur. 
that is in my mind like when you feel that level of defeat over an enemy like a boss in one of those games in a from software game you're kind of going i'm never getting through this i'm never going to do it no eventually you do and basingstoke offered that feeling again to me and i didn't expect that feeling to come along yeah throughout this game and what's what's mad about it is as much as they want you to be as we were saying uh, do a lot of stealth when it gets pretty chaotic and you have your items used, like, it, it just goes to shit so fast. Now, I do, I do think that, like, when you initially have your first kind of few runs of getting spotted and you're just, you're just going and you're like, oh, this is, this is just, this is, this is entertaining. It, it does offer this rush and mm. all that, all that's happening at once. And if you feel like you've the right selection of items, like you know, like um, like some sort of gun or whatever like that, brilliant. It's it's mighty crack if you can kind of get through that. But so many times, so many times, I would be getting chased, and I'd be like, oh god, oh god. And there's on top of all this, with with the fact you get hit once and you're gone, like. There are weapons that you will find. And if you don't pay attention to that gun, let's say, or whatever that you pick up, not only do they go, here's a gun, they can give you a gun with no ammo. And you're mm. just like, oh my God. And sometimes I didn't pay attention to that. And I'd be like, there's no bullets, there's no bullets. Oh my God, this is falling apart. And then I'd panic even more and run and then go into a room that... I obviously don't know because the, the game is always random and then I'd be like, there's more enemies in here. This is awful. And this would happen and then death. And I'd be like, oh, brutal. And just to pick up on your thing, like the difference is for me when you have something that's just brutally punishing, like, like a Dark Souls. I know we're not really comparing the two, but it's kind of funny. No. So, but, but they that you will get a pat on the head in uh, dark souls because the pat on the head is every time you die it's your fault and we're trying to teach you something and so if you've got your eyes and ears open you will learn something and the ultimate pat on the head is you just fucked up a massive dragon son so well done to you <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah. whereas with this <laughs> it's like Oh no! I just kind of, I just kind of got snagged on 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 a little railing, and I got fucked, or or you know, just stuff where it's just luck, where it's just like, mm. oh, I didn't learn anything from that though. That was just just chaos, you know. That's just hundred percent, man. Because like, I was like, all right, I'm 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 obviously making a ball to this by getting caught straight away. Mm. Because I'm gonna say though, right, I couldn't get past level four, right? No going to this podcast doing that is you're like oh man i just couldn't but like i just couldn't no matter how much i tried to come up with like a better strategy on the whole situation there is an area in level four where you're out in the street and it is fairly open and if you get caught which happened to me every goddamn time in this area you are overrun like there are so many enemies coming at you at once you yeah it's that whole thing of like you're kind of running backwards and you're shooting your items and then you're kind of turning around and you might get caught in a wall or caught in a car or something like that will happen and then bang dead this this frustration that would come is just so annoying because the more times i played it i, I couldn't really figure out the best option mm. do you know what i mean i i just wasn't getting through 
in a stealth way and I wasn't getting through in a kind of a boom boom way because it was just not it was not working for me mm. I was just completely stumped and I, I honestly tried so many times to get past it like so many times and I was just like no I can't I can't I can't do this there is a countdown timer for us because we're going in to record the episodes you're like no I'm not going to get there I'm just not going to get there <laughs> it's just it's just, and it's a killer I wanted to clearly but yeah it's it's fucking very hard I mean don't, don't worry we are going to talk about that level <laughs> in in the next section quite in depth because yeah it's a toughie but I know you did enjoy the variety of items Adam is that is that fair to say 100% there's a ton of stuff at your disposal you can craft items you can like attach nails to wood and all this kind of stuff like but here's the thing you're kind of going do I want to do this or like you're kind of like in your head going is it worth the risk for me to go in with this weapon and just hope for the best that I reach my goal by shooting enemies because you don't have a whole pile but if you do it like in a, in a smart way I suppose you can get by I think like the dis- the distraction items are your best item by far Um, like you have uh, just loads of grub that's what you get like sausage rolls and sandwiches and stuff and it's quite entertaining to use them but um I would imagine once again, as I said earlier, like, you know, regarding watching somebody play this game in a stealth way, I'm sure that if there was a lot more people who had footage of this game would probably be very crafty with the items. Like, I'm not particularly one of those people, but (laughs) I think like what is what it's offering you in the in the kind of general setup is is very entertaining and i think every item also just because of its art style just looks really really fun it just looks really quirky yeah i mean i i I like that yeah you can pick up sausage rolls and fling them about the place and you know you can i can't remember what it's called in the game but like you know you can put chili powder mix it with a sandwich or something fire it at an enemy and then they'll set a blaze like there is (laughs) definitely some some good things that can happen with experimenting. But what you what you just said there regarding that sandwich, that's weird then, isn't it? When you do that, you're like, what, why would I do this? Why would I do this in this game? To set the enemy on fire. What, what, do, what do you mean? <laughs> it's it's going to cause too much. It's, it's, a, cr- it's just, a crowd just... control item. Like it's when you're being overwhelmed and you have to try and get rid of a number of people at once like this is this is when you're definitely in boom boom territory and we have gone so far out of stealth and (laughs) it it, it is chaos i mean seeing as we're talking about the items like from the get-go the game it just throws you in the deep end as we've made reference to numerous times and it just asks you to float right so there are things being thrown at you and you just have to figure figure it all out on the fly so when it comes to the items you're picking up and you're crafting, my biggest issue was that when I'm picking up something, I have no clue what, what it does. Yeah, for sure. So I have to then use it to find out. There are item descriptions, but like a lot of them are very, very similar. So like yeah. you're just, you're trying to figure out what the difference is between item A and B. It all boils down to how important it is for you to have to manage your resources in the game. And like, I, I apologize for being a broken record, but if I'm able to lose all my progress on this level, which could be, I don't know, it could be 10 minutes, could be quarter of an hour. Yeah. Like, and which to some people, they might be like, ah, what's quarter of an hour? And then I go, yeah, but what's a quarter of an hour 
nine times in a row or something like, you know? If that's the case, then I'm going to be less likely to experiment because I feel like I can't afford to. I need to know what these things do. If they just said, for example... Like I said it there a second ago, like if it said this item is great for crowd control or enemy X is weak to blank. And for me, I do think there are probably too many possibilities. Yeah. The seemingly large number of items that you can craft, it's overwhelming. And it's the lack of a description of what these items do that kind of really got on my wick, you know? And it could be, uh, I wonder if it was one of those things where, and I'm not saying this is good. (laughs) <laughs> I can imagine that if Basingstoke really did take off, that the community, it would be a wonderful thing for community. You know, you get that because you sort of get that in the Souls game, you know, you, 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 you sort of get, you know, when the fandom's like, oh, combine this, this, that and the other. Here's a, here's a really good tactic for a run through. And I'm sure they can get some absolutely fantastic combinations. But the, the I think the fundamental thing is it is actually... To, to its credit, as we've sort of said, quite a, a nicely fundamental and simple core experience. And so my urge, and I, it sort of sounds a little bit like your urge for you guys as well, is, well, I'm going to lean back on those fundamentals. And so all of these things that you're introducing do come across as complications to that. And even if they've got really interesting results... The cost of finding out is ridiculous if I yeah. just want to get to <laughs> So I don't know. It's, it's good and bad. If this game like skyrocketed in popularity, I'm sure there could be an amazing community of people. And I could Google, what are these spicy sandwiches? I'm sure someone's done it. You know, I've done a spicy sandwich run through that where that's all I did. It's an overpowered <laughs> weapon. You know, I'm sure there'd be all sorts of interesting <laughs> things. But as it stands, yeah, I was exactly the same as you guys. I was like, I have a, a bulging inventory with all sorts of stuff in there. I'm sticking to the laser pointer and I'm just jogging to the next place. (laughs) Another thing you're sticking to, Josh, is getting a truncheon or a pool cue and whacking the bastards on the head. That was good fun. Now, I know you were saying earlier, oh, it's not a game that like, and it's not, you're like, you're right from a mechanic. But, but some of the some of the when you whack a zombie out with a pool cue, what was the other one? I got a pool cue. Oh, there's a cr- you can get a cricket bat as well, uh, which is really really nice. Um, and you can combine that with the nails so that you have nails. You got a spiked cricket bat, yes, yeah, I yeah, that exactly. Too, yeah. Uh, and you can uh, you can really cause some cause some damage there. But it is quite satisfying it being a game that doesn't really focus on the on on uh, combat. I thought the sort of crunchy, nice feel of sneaking up behind a twat and just laying him out with a pool cue and you get the little zeds that come up from his head when he's asleep. <laughs> I just thought, I thought, I'm actually doing that three times in a row. I'm going to have you all and then I'm going to sort of mince around the room in a very leisurely way because you're all unconscious, but they don't stay asleep for long. So don't get arrogant is what I'd say to any cricket batters out there. But very, very crunch, just like mm, really nice little whack. Because also, the enemies are bastards in this game. That's another thing. If an enemy's a twat in a game, he's always more fun to batter. Yep. That's what I, that's what, so the enemies in this particular game, which are cruel, every time I popped one of them out, I was like, yeah, take that, you fucker. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, that's, so that was, that was a lot of the boom boom for me. No, I, I agree. Problem is when you do that, he's going to be up shortly and he's going to bring his friends as well. Uh, so yeah, that's what we thought about the boom boom. So now let us talk about the most noteworthy 
level, I guess, in Basingstoke. And this is the part of the show where we, it's not our favourite level per se, it's just the level, you know, that might sum up the game for us, or just stands out for whatever reason. And Adam, you mentioned level four. I feel like you maybe in a blind rage gave us a lot of your your opinions on I it. did yeah I, I, I read and I want to hear yours no Colin yeah so level four it's called the Metro Station Metro Station West it's you know the, a little from column A a little from column B firstly what I like about this level is I really like the setup and the general look of it and a lot of that I was going to mention this later, but I, I suppose I might as well mention it here. The lighting in this game is fantastic. Yes, it is. Across the board. We kind of, I suppose, spoke about the flashlight, but just how the levels look and how they're brought to life with the lighting on some of the earlier levels where you're walking down a street and there's like an electrical outlet that's kind of, you know, fizzing away there and you get the blue electricity or a fire is lighting. Here, it's... It's exactly the same. So the the level, basically, you are at an underground Basingstoke train station. The game just pretends that all trains look like TFL London underground (laughs) tube trains. And as someone who lived in London for a good number of years, I do enjoy seeing the occasional thing that reminds me of my, my time living there. And for whatever reason, the red, white and blue of the tube train does... Not the red, white, and blue of everything in relation to the country, but the choo train does. I realised. I realised as I said it, but yeah, as does the you know the the tube like maps that they have on the walls in this level, and it maybe made me feel even more fuzzy inside because they were they all had the red of the central line, which was the line I was on when I first moved to London. So it's just kind of a lot of fuzzy, nostalgic feelings, and just thinking about it now. There really is some fine attention to detail here as you're making your way to kind of along the train tracks and to another part of the station. You'll see the the yellow line, the mind the gap written on the floor. I'm pretty sure even the warning signs at the edge of the platform are pretty much spot on as well. Mm. And like a nice little touch is the orange and black electronic schedule signs by the platform too are here. So at the start of the level, there's one and it says... The train going to Slough is due shortly, while the one going to Woking is going to be here in two minutes. And like, obviously, I say all that and I'm painting a lovely picture. Like this place has been decimated by <laughs> by the aliens, of course. But it's it's a really well-realised London Underground station, basically, but in this cutesy art style. In motion, I think, you said it too, Adam, like this is a very nice looking game. It really, yeah, it really, it really knows its art style. You know, it's not going for hyper-realism or anything like that. And it shouldn't because it excels in in what it does. But in this level, talking about lighting, I suppose, going back to that, uh, you have areas of this map as you delve deeper underground, like Jamiroquai. Sorry, I had to, I couldn't let it go. <laughs> yeah, um, I knew you were going there. <laughs> I had to, I have, sorry, I couldn't let it go. But you, you, you go on little footbridges that are sitting on these sort of green sludgy uh, pools kind of like you know large sections of the area and you're walking through massive pipes and there's just all this luminous green sludge kind of underneath you and and around you and it gives the train station uh, like it needed it but it gives it a, a, a further menace 
Yeah. And also another thing, I think in this level is where they also introduce these larger, more vicious, chompy enemies as well. It is, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know, it all ties together so, so well. Now, those are the few things I like, right? But the main thing I don't like is sort of something I've mentioned a few times now. But, and again, I say this section isn't your favourite level, it's just an area, a, a level you want to highlight. And this level does sum up Basingstoke to me. You said it a while ago, Adam, and I, I will 100% agree. This level ended me. <laughs> I cannot begin to tell you oh, how God. long yeah. I spent <laughs> playing this level. Just death after death after death. <laughs> and that was on multiple layouts because when I was struggling on one where, say, I had a save halfway through I was like no this this layout clearly isn't working out for me so what you can do is, to get a, a different layout is you can return back to your camp back to the start of the level restarting it you can sort of force a different layout but then I'd still just die and it was always and I literally mean always at the final hurdle so at the end of the level you must raise some barricades that are blocking your exit. However, when you raise those barricades, you also see that there are an insurmountable number of enemies in front of you. And it, it, it's, it's outrageous. It is so overwhelming and so many different <laughs> variations so... of enemies too. <laughs> and just despite what I tried, mother of God, I cannot tell you how... Many times I tried, lads. I just kept on dying. And like, I really like this level stealthy options. The pipe system I mentioned allows you to scoot about the level as you try and remain unseen. And it's it's kind of a safe haven as well because your enemies can't enter the pipes. But the end of the level just goes back to me saying how punishing this game is. And like, it's that discouraging thing again. Um it just comes back to the whole like not getting enough pats in the head and you're just being beaten down over and over and over again. And yeah, this is sadly for the first time again, Basingstoke, I didn't finish it for this podcast and I tried, I tried, <laughs> Jesus, this, this level just beat, uh, it beat the enthusiasm out of me. It beat the will. It beat everything. Like I was on this level for like a week or something like that. I'd take maybe a night off every now and then, but I was just like, <laughs> I just can't. I, I, I've tried Basingstoke, but you have beaten me. This, the fourth level is the level where I have spent the most time on, but it was the level also where I was like, I, I need to, I need to get away from the controller. I need to go back to mouse and keyboard. That's surely how I'm going to get past this. <laughs> Because the <laughs> controller was, I was just like, holy Jesus, I am not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing this well. Like all my turns and stuff were not working. So I was like, no, mouse and keyboard, no bother. Here we go. Uh, no, no, just like it was an improvement. But I, in my head, I went, why didn't I do the mouse and keyboard anyway? The start is beyond me. Mouse but and anyway. keyboard is, is, yeah, I, I thought when you see it in action, you're like, oh, this is kind of like a twin stick shooter I could yes I could I, I could see how how this would work very well on controller but yeah it, it's just uh, mouse and keyboard is far easier to control I found I believe your level was was different Josh what, what was your what was the one that stood out to you well I do agree with you with I'd like 
wholeheartedly everything you said about level four gets my thumbs up. Uh, I agree. Um, I did get past level four, but the one I picked. Rubbing uh, it in our face. I know. Well, I came in before the mics were hot, just to lift the curtain a little bit. I was like, oh, sorry, guys. I've actually not 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 finished this week. Turns out I got the furthest. So, you know, uh, I the one I picked was actually like level three. So it's the one just before the, the, the metro station. And the goal is to get to the metro station. And I think you start in the police station, if memory serves. Yes. Yeah. You do, yeah. And it's pretty, like any of it, it's pretty simple. It's just you start at one end of town and you got to get to the other. Um, but there's a few things in the, in the mission that I sort of really loved and a few things that I really, really didn't like. Um, and it was, and it was the sort of the point at which my opinions on Basing Stoke sort of set. Um, so g- points in its favour, atmospheric, reminded me a lot of Resident Evil 3 particularly the remake of Resident Evil 3, when it's just, here is an open urban section at night with things that you have to avoid and you get that eerie feeling of just like running quietly and there's a lovely tension and you feel like at any one time you could get totally fucked. Good stuff, loving it. Uh, The plastic bollards were all like luminous in this section as well, so I didn't trip up on any of those bad boys. Um, Now... I don't like procedural generation uh, often in video games. Whenever I hear procedural generation, I just think, oh, for fuck's sake. Because it, it never, I don't know what people that like it think it achieves. Because it just all feels the same. It's really weird. It's not like, I've, I don't think I've ever played a proc gen game and sort of thought to myself, oh yeah, it was different every time. Like, it's always like, yeah, it's kind of all just blurs into one. Like In this particular mission, you have to find the key to open up the underground, like, shutter. And one of the things that annoyed me, well, I used a life insurance policy about three quarters of the way through when I found the metro station. And the key was just all was just always on a different corpse. So and that's the proc gen thing. It's like every time I fucked up and I fucked up loads because the bit at the end was annoying. Every time it was like it's gonna be one of four corpses and every single time I'm just going to run to these different corpses and it'll be on one of them and it changes every time. The broad layout of the level doesn't change, but the little placement of things changes and sometimes some of the little physical details are a little bit different. So that that annoyed me for, for, for one thing. Um, the other thing was just a kind of lack of clarity. Oh, it really highlighted the difficulty because you have to open the metro door and so I go in and there's like loads of zombies outside the metro door. Um, and I had to distract them all and then wait while they does the thing and it opens the door. And then you get in there and there's just a load of guys in there waiting to kill you. I mean, fucking loads, uh, like stupid loads. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, the minute I go in, that's great because that's, me- that's the metro and I've done it. But no, no, no you've got to fumble around this like massive sort of arrivals hall thing. And then there's like the 
escalators right at the other end with these sort of glowing arrows pointing down. And you have to hop over. There's a little uh, sort of context-sensitive hop-over thing that you can do with low walls in this game. And just many, many attempts were spent on this, getting one-tapped by these twats who were lurking around in there, running around trying to find the key again, distracting them again, opening the door. And every time, it's that thing you were talking about with there's no pat on the head at any point. And not only is there no pat on the head, but I don't know what you want me to do. And it was like the seventh attempt. And remember, I had that life insurance policy. Christ knows what this would have been if I did... Frankly, if I didn't have a life insurance policy, I think I would be, I don't even know if I'd have gotten to level four. But anyway, it was like attempt number six or seven where I worked out that you have to hop over the little barricade to get into the metro. But I don't know if you guys found this, but... Archer. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if you guys found this, but it's like quite gammy sometimes. Just like, you, you just kind of don't hop over it. Or you sort of snag on like a little upturned trolley or something and like trying to, trying to get him to hop over the little thing just didn't work like two or three times. So I guess it culminated in stuff that I did like about Basingstoke and then the really kind of obtuse for us more frustrating bits of it bits of its design they were sort of all there in this level in kind of equal measure really and i kind of just got to the end and i just thought fuck me i don't know i don't know how much more i can sort of stomach of that but it's a shame because there are good bits in there as well i did just kind of want to highlight that it's not all shit but it Frustration is the sort of emotion that I went out with. I think. Right, so that's what we thought, or that was our thoughts on the Boom Boom and the levels that stood out to us for good or bad or both. So we're going to take a quick little break and then we will be back to chat about the narrative, the tale that Basingstoke weaves, as well as any other little miscellaneous points that we want to bring up. We will be back right after this. All right, then let's chat about the story of Basingstoke. And I wanted to start us off because, hang on, where are they? I have a 54-page document here that I wanted to, to bring up. No, I'm only messing with you, lads. Oh, you joker. I'm up to me old mischief again. No, oh, wild man. Uh, uh, look, there isn't much. And, that, and do you know what? I'm fine with it. Yeah. I'm grand. I actually, I really like the silliness of this setup. I mean, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's escape Basingstoke. What more do you need to know? (laughs) 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 Like like even, it gives you a little bit of dressing by introducing this element where you're going for an interview at this company called Omnicorp. They're doing some sort of, you walk through some science labs, they're doing some sort of experiments or something. Mm. Then you go into a bathroom, I think. Then there's like a big explosion. Aliens have landed. Basingstoke has been ruined. We don't know about the rest of the country, but Basing at this point, but Basingstoke itself absolutely gone to shit. So you need to get the hell out of there. And I, I liked it. I liked it. I, I kind of didn't really want much apart from that. It's silly and it's fun. Yeah. Like I know Josh, you quite just enjoyed the, because at the start of every level, it'll just be like escape 
basic stalker or escape the get out of the police station reach the metro and it's just like it's very yeah, it's dramatic. got those smash subtitles that quickly smash up on the screen which is kind of cool i like it when games do that but yeah no it, it was it was good it was one of the best things in the game the intro actually um obvious callbacks to like half-life i guess would be the big one i mean it's sort of the same set up and even the room that you go into Omnicorp that has that big machine right in the middle is is just like the Nexus machine that you sort of look at in right at the beginning of Half-Life it's the sort of same thing really except I did like I did really like the idea of uh, like the final door that you go through you it's locked and I kind of ran around wondering what to do when this big machine was causing its dimensional rift or whatever but I like the little touch about you have to go into the bathroom in order to progress, which is just really fun. It just, it just worked. It was just a nice little locational trigger point for the cutscene, or, for, you know, for whatever. It's just like it, you're in the crapper while the universe came to an end. And that's <laughs> just really fundamentally cool. I mean, that, that yeah, to, to your point, like that whole introductory sequence, I was genuinely impressed. Yeah. It's your first introduction to... Uh, the the lighting effects and the the you know fire and explosions and even if I'm remembering correctly like isn't there like a a, a sequence towards the end where you are just running and just things are just blowing up everything is just yeah, blowing yeah. up yeah it's, it was really really cool there's actually a, a little a, a fun fact and I can't remember where I heard it but the there's like a puppy games their other game that you were took one of the ones that you were talking about earlier like revenge of the titans i think it was called this it's all it's like it's the puppy games shared universe it's kind of cool like i think the titans from revenge of the titans are the same baddies in this game and in revenge of the titans it you find like a little easter egg thing and it just mentions they put it in as a joke like the first place that the titans invaded on earth was basingstoke and apparently that was just like the jumping off point for basingstoke as a sort of story <laughs> which i thought was really cool um, but yeah other things that i thought were good were the Shaun of the dead vibe which yes. is very yeah. very particular and i can't really even think of many games that have even attempted it i mean even something like zombie u didn't Maybe that's the closest. I guess it was like set in London and there were elements of humour, but it really captures that parochial, um, everything's yes. gone gone to shit, but it's it very British and uh, have a cup of tea. and <laughs> Even the, isn't the, the start of the second level, your goal is go, go to, to the, the pub. <laughs> go to the red line. Yeah, wait for this all to blow over. Yeah, I thought it was, I think it's really funny. I, it had me, really had me smiling and they had the, the carpet from The Shining in Omnicorp as well, which that actually is maybe a little bit overused. Everyone loves that hexagonal that carpet. carpet. is the most used carpet ever. Which, and I understand ever. it's good like, visual shorthand, but it is a cliche at, at, the, at this point. Also, they just called it Omnicorp, which is the company from Robocop. Like they just took that wholesale. It is! It's just sort of a wash with movie references, which I thought was kind of cool. But yeah, yeah, a cracking intro to the game. It really was. Oh, the actual story, though, obviously just nothing much. Just escape Basingstoke. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of all I, all I was looking for. All you need, yeah. Yeah, so that's what we thought about the story. The kind of the narrative, the set dressing of Basingstoke. And this is the part of the podcast where generally we just mop things up. Anything, other miscellaneous things that don't fit elsewhere. And 
I wanted to quickly mention one thing I have down here because it relates to something you said, Josh. Right? Because I was like, oh, I must put that put that in the old memory bank now. Uh-oh. And, <laughs> well, so you said, right, if you, you need a key and, or a code or whatever it is, and it's, you know, the first time you play the level, oh, it's the guy who's by the plastic bollard. Right, I know it's him. And then you die, you start again, you go over to him, it's like, oh, it's not there. Mm. Where is it? And I had a similar reaction. I was going, oh, this, what? What's going on? Oh, it's procedurally generated, I suppose. I don't know. But in fact, I think it's actually a smart little thing in Basingstoke because, yeah, these keys and these door codes and what have you that you need to find, like, I guess they can't be in the same place each time because the map, the map will change. But the reason I call it a, a smart thing is because as far as I'm aware, there is no possible way you can, you can miss it. Zero possibility unless you aren't looting anything like as long as you're searching corpses boxes well, i missed it a few times well, well fair enough i suppose from, from my from my experience i never when i got to the door whatever i needed to get to i always had the thing oh see i had a few annoying backtrackers right to, that uh, is annoying yeah because yeah. because i thought like as long as i just searched around I would find it and I I felt like I never had to you know scavenge for it I never had to go out of my way to find it as long as I was looking in certain areas like again um looting the areas like I I would find it so I I found it quite smart luck of the draw you you count yourself lucky that you didn't get snagged in an endless loop of trying to find the the fucking underground key and it being proc genned out of your hands um I mean I guess we've kind of spoken about it already but I know Adam yeah you kind of wanted to talk about just how how this looks and how much you enjoyed the the art style and the sound as well. Yeah, we've said loads about it, but yeah, I just think that the the slickness of the entire game is is a major star. I I think everything looks really nice all the time. It runs really well. Even much brought up a while ago with the the titles popping up. The only game that really comes to mind straight away when it happened was uh, Control. I, I knew Control you were going to say Control. Yeah. I knew yeah. you were going to say Control. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I also just want to quickly jump to the point of like, I don't know if you if your lads are fans of sausage rolls, right? Oh. But I think this goes down to the visual aesthetic once again. If this particular sausage roll got thrown at me, mm. I would also get very distracted and want to eat Absolutely. it. Because by God... They look smashing. They, look. <laughs> they look smashing. I love a sausage roll. So it gets big bonus points for a good sausage roll. The sandwiches, not so much. Not so much. No, but the, the sausage roll is is a big win. In in life, like sandwiches in life, great. But sausage roll, life and in Basingstock. Like, I'll be honest, like, like pff, Greg should probably play this game. Josh, <laughs> something you had an issue with. We spoke about how much we enjoyed the torch. But you kind of, some little, um, well, I guess this is kind of controller inputs that you had issue yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I, I don't know if this is just me. Uh, could be a Steam Deck thing, maybe. But uh, the menu's kind of just really weird and sort of not great and sometimes a bit unresponsive. Like, when I died, 
I would press A to try again and just nothing would happen. So then I just oh. press I just press A again and like just the second time it would work. And it's just like, oh, just sort of a slightly weird, like shonky menu thing. And then other times it'd be like that word is lit up, so I think it's uh, what's selected, and it actually just isn't. And I have to like move down and light it up even more than it was lit up a moment ago, and then and then press A on it. Just like weird, and well, sometimes when I pause the game, uh, just to either save or or go onto options or something, when I would press A to resume the game the input would just carry over into the game and just turn my torch on. Just so just like little stuff like that, which is like, mm. oh, that, that's weird. The menus are just like a little bit sticky and odd, um, slight level of shonk. But yeah, overall, it is a really polished game. And that might have just been an issue maybe uh, for me on the Steam Deck. So, so sometimes that Could be happen. a Steam Deck know. thing because obviously it wasn't made with Steam Deck in mind. It may not be, but I, I don't think I ran into that. Yeah. One thing I did run into is, and we said this earlier, kind of, but trying to find stuff on this game. And I, I, I say this as a man who found a Spanish blog in 2011. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, it's, it's it, like, Basingstoke is a great name, but it's also a very, very bad name. Yeah. Like you, I think you said this earlier, Adam. If you Google Basingstoke, I have no idea how many pages deep you would have to get <laughs> yeah, yeah. to get to the game Basingstoke. I would guess, like I'm here now just scrolling through page four, page five. Like you are going to have to, oh, is that it? Basingstoke on Steam, page five, at the, at the top of page five. Yeah, that's bonkers. I don't know why, like, because if you look at the sign... I think it says welcome to Basingstoke on Steam on the logo. Mm. I don't know why yes. they didn't just call it welcome to Basingstoke or escape Basingstoke. And now that would be one because that would be a sort of reference to the movie Escape from New York. If they did, if they called it Escape yeah. from Basingstoke, that would be a cracker. I'd be all up for that. I think he even actually jokes about that in one of the postmortems. Like, should we have called it Escape from Basingstoke? But yeah, I, but it is, to be fair, it is one of those games where... Once you've heard it once, I'll always remember that. I know we've just done a whole blimmin' podcast about it, so I'll always remember it anyway. But once you know that there's a video game called Basingstoke, that is sort of genius, and I'll never forget it. Whereas I might forget, you know, any number of, uh, you know, conviction, revolutions, or whatever, you know, generic (laughs) video game names from Ubisoft, you know? I totally get that. But the problem is, and I suppose they said it, like, they didn't sell many copies. They didn't sell enough copies. What's super weird is though, like when you type in "Welcome to Basingstoke" in Google, it comes up. Like and it, it, like it, the search dropdown says "Welcome to Basingstoke video game," and then you click it, and then it just goes "Basingstoke video game." Type in "Basingstoke," you get all the the the, the place, like you mm. know. And like I know what you're saying that the the name of it is 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 it's kind of great, but also terrible at the same time. But there's not much I'd hold against it for its name, like, you know. I, I, oh, no, like, I, I am purely talking about it from a marketing aspect. A business perspective, yeah. If you want people to buy your game, call it something. Like, fuck it, we live in an age of search engine optimization, Google, the internet. Call it something that it can't be confused with. Or, failing that, become 
so big that exactly the town of Basingstoke's actually annoyed because they don't come up on Google search. You know, that that's what you got to do. Like we wouldn't be saying that if the game was more successful, but given that it wasn't that successful, we are, because I actually do, I agree because you've written down, it's a great name and a terrible name. And I agree with both of those things. <laughs> so that is what we thought of Basingstoke. Now we need to play a quiz, lads. We need to kind of break out from Basingstoke. We'll get back to summarise our thoughts of Basingstoke. But first, let's play a little quiz. Every episode of the Stealth Boom Boom podcast sees me test the gaming knowledge of my co-hosts with a simple game I like to call... Who am I? I give five clues to the identity of a video game character and you, Josh Wise, and you, Adam Carroll, must give me the correct answer. All you have to do is say stop and then give me said answer. And given the nature of this podcast, the video game character in question will be from a stealth slash stealthy video game. And I will not listen to any complaints from either participants if they have a problem with the character (laughs) I have chosen. You get the clues once and once only, so listen up and listen up good. Let us play. Who am I? Clue number one. My first appearance in a video game was in 1997. 1997. Oh, blimey. Clue number two. Oh, boy, do I love to talk. I'm such a chatty Cathy. I guess I command more so than converse, though. Clue number three. People say I'm a hero, and I guess they're technically correct, but I don't get my hands dirty. I use my mind instead. Stop. Adam Carroll. Abe. And this week's winner is Adam Carroll. Yes! (laughs) Wow. Wow. Very impressive. I tell you now what had me there was the, the, the chatty part, and then when you said command... More so than oh, I was that's like, good, that. command, hang on a second here now. And then when you said the mind, I was like, that's Abe. That's definitely Abe. You are correct. So let me take <laughs> you through the clues. So my first appearance in video games in 1997, Odd World Abe's Odyssey. Clue number two, oh boy, do I love to talk. I'm such a chatty Cathy. I guess I command more so than converse though, because obviously in the Abe games, you tell your fellow Mudokans what to do, follow me, wait, etc. Clue number three, people say I'm a hero and I guess they're technically correct, but I don't get my hands dirty. I use my mind instead because in the Abe games, you can possess your enemies and then control their actions, shoot their gun, whatever. And the clues I didn't get to, but clue number four, I just want to stand up for my fellow worker. If no one else is going to save them, then I will. Because your goal in the game is to save your fellow Mudokans. Mm. And clue number five was going to be a bit upset I didn't get to it, but I don't know if I'd say Eiffel 65 are my favourite musical group, but I can definitely relate to their music. Because he's blue. Oh, yeah, I see. Oh, that was crass. Oh, cool. Sorry, stuff. I did. I'm, I'm <laughs> Maybe I should have put that clue in earlier. I thought that was a dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Congratulations, Adam Cairns. So the current Who Am I leaderboard is 1 1. This could be exciting, lads. I like it. Like it. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's take a quick little break and then we will be back to summarize our thoughts on Basingstoke again. The video game, not the place. Don't know much about the place. And sadly, Josh doesn't either. I was hoping, Josh, you were going to be our Basingstoke correspondent, <laughs> but that is not the case. Anyway, back after this. 
So yes, this is the part of the show we call The Verdict, where we give you our final thoughts on Basingstoke and we give it a little seal of approval or disapproval. But we'll get on to that because before that, I have a few reviews from people that were done at the time the game came out. So let me take you through them. This first one is from Game Grin. The critic is Ginny Wilkin and Ginny gave it 8 out of 10 and said, quote, a stealth apocalypse game that takes some liberties with its setting, but brings it all together with strong mechanics that keep the player feeling vulnerable. Genki Pro from SaverQuit.com, they said in their review, Basingstoke's core gameplay is solid and in spite of the few frustrations, it's nailed that just one more go addictive appeal. It's a great game, let down a little by a few issues that make it more frustrating than it should be. Toby Roundel of BigBossBattle.com, they said, quote, Despite making me jump at every sound in my house for the entirety of my playthrough, Basingstoke is an absolutely superb horror title, which perfectly meshes zombies with the charm of modern British culture. And finally, I presume somebody who is Welsh on a publication called The Mad Welshman... <laughs> They said, quote, I find myself overall looking forward to whatever evil thing the game is going to throw my way. Be that for me, like when I made a proximity mine or against me, like the large alien carnivores of the underground. Well worth a look if you like stealth action titles. But let's... Mother, I am blue in the face from telling you none of those opinions <laughs> matter. The only opinions that matter are Adam's, Josh's and mine as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on Basingstoke. So how this works is that each of us will give Basingstoke a rating. That rating is either a pass, a play or an espionage explosion. It's as simple as this. A pass, we don't think you should play this game. A play, we think you should play this game. Or an espionage explosion, we really think you should play this game. All rationale for ratings is entirely up to whomever is bestowing their badge of approval or disapproval. So, let's get into it and let's give our final ratings of a Basingstoke. Adam Carroll, would you like to start us off? I will. Um, I think going into this game, I was incredibly surprised by... It's presentation straight away, as I've said. Um, it's it's overall kind of sound the whole lot. There, there was so much that I was just like, wow, I did not expect this to look and sound the way it did. Um, I think there's a ton of charm. All that, all that's there. Difficulty, major, major problem for me. Is it a problem for other people out there? Probably not. I think there, there are definitely going to be an audience of people who are going to be like, not too hard, frustrated. But I think there are people who would love this type of game and its challenge that it offers. I wish I could have seen more of it. Uh, I do think also that its price that it currently stays at, which is probably at this at the time of recording, I think it's still going to be 30 bucks. Um, maybe a bit, bit expensive for people to jump on just sort of like, oh, I'll check it out. Um, but I do think it's it's a shame that it just didn't get the attention um, it, it definitely deserved a bit more of an audience and saying that I do think it's a play I do think it's definitely a play I there there's just there is a lot to like um, but I'm I'm kind of like beaten from it as well at the same time but I do think it's a play Josh what say you oh man uh, this is really like tough because I don't think I've ever been as like divided on a thing. 
So it's not an espionage explosion. I always think if someone says, should I play a game? And like, I don't know. You're not saying like, yeah, you should play it to completion or not play it at all. If someone's like, should I just try it for 10 minutes? But yeah, you bring up a good point about the price because, you know, you have to find it in a sale and stuff. I mean, yeah, like I would say to someone, there's some interesting stuff there. There's some good stuff there. And, you know, it does do the atmospheric stuff well and it does have the, the tension stuff, but it is incredibly frustrating. Um I think I'm going to have to say, uh, I'm going to say play because I do think it does enough stuff well and in an interesting way. And I do feel for the developers, though I know that's a slippery slope, but I do think there is genuinely enough really smart design here. I think the sound design's top notch. It may well frustrate you, but if someone said to me, I played that game you told me to play and I was really fucking annoyed by it and you shouldn't have told me to play it. I'd say, okay, fair enough. But didn't you think the beginning was cool and didn't you think that the atmosphere was kind of cool? And hopefully they'd be like, yeah, I guess so. And in that sense, it's kind of worth it. Interesting. Interesting. I'd be lying if I said I expected those outcomes because I do think, as I said, I think the torch is such a, a cool mechanic. It's done really well. The lighting is fantastic. I think, yeah, in large part, the uh, sound is very good. But this is quite an easy pass for me. Wow. I mean, for everything I said, I got quite animated. Yeah. No, I I get it. I get it. There's no way I could tell somebody to to pick this up. Like, it, it it is a pricey game, even if it goes on sale. And it's just... Uh, it's 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 too punishing. It's just way way too punishing for me. Uh, but despite the things I, I I liked about it, it's just. What if someone said to you, Cullum, I'm wondering if I should play. <laughs> I'm wondering if I should play Basingstoke. Uh, on my mates, my mates got it. Shall I shall I play it? What would you what would you say then if like money was no object and they were like I'm gonna go on my mate's PC and play it or I could just not like would you would you bother then? I mean, if that's the case, then all the games we're talking about are play. Like, you know, like do you reckon they actually would? Though, because well, I, I don't know that they would. I never know. I know our ratings. Are, the brilliant thing about our rating system is that it isn't a scientific formula, and we can kind of define it however we want. And I know that when we were talking about like Assassin's Creed, I was like it doesn't mean play to completion. Like if someone said, shall I try Assassin's Creed for 10 minutes? I'd be like, yeah. Like talking about playing to completion. Like I couldn't play this thing to completion. (laughs) No, you can hardly recommend anyone else would. (laughs) And I really wanted to. I really tried. If you didn't get there from what I said earlier. (laughs) I really did try. Like there are some good things about it, but it, it just too many, too many negative points that I wouldn't be able to, Overlook. Yeah. So that is what we thought about Basingstoke. But put that to the back of your minds, lads, because we need to turn our attention to the next game we're going to be discussing on Stealth Boom Boom, because on the next episode, we're going to be talking about a game that Kirk Hamilton of Kotaku called, quote, smart, creative, responsive, surprising, and possessed of an uncommon respect for the player. 
Marty Sleva of IGN said, quote, Every aspect of its clever design, laugh out loud noir story, tiny but expressive art, and moody music work harmoniously with one another. And Justin McElroy of Polygon said, quote, As mainstream games continue to balloon in budget and feature sets, this game is a bracing reminder of how lovely simplicity, when exquisitely executed, can be. We're going back a decade for this one. Because on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting Gunpoint. So, I mean, we're going to talk about this obviously more in depth on the next episode, but I do, just as a little teaser for the people listening, I like to get, you know, a little word from you both just on your knowledge of Gunpoint, maybe if you played it at the time, if it's totally new to you, Josh? I, the only thing I know about this, it looks uh, really, really cool. I haven't played it. The only thing I know about it is that it was notable uh, because it was the X pc gamer editor or, or was it pc Gamer? he was reviews editor i believe at pc gamer yeah and you and that's a really interesting jump the you know going from critic to 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 developer but i remember thinking at the time oh that's really cool and then i i, I know that it sort of was you know re- really well received and stuff i thought wow okay very cool but i haven't played it very excited to play it looks very cool adam carroll any knowledge of gunpoint in short, I think it's the same thing I said about Monaco. It's just one of those games that I heard a lot about. I remember getting a lot of buzz. Um, yeah, looked really cool. So uh, it, it's it's actually like along with Monaco, Gunpoint is one that I've been very excited to get to. So um, I don't really know much about how how it works or anything like that. So I'm excited for it. As am I. I played it 10 years ago when it came out. Ooh. And like Monaco and wondering how it plays today, 10 years later, I find myself in a similar situation. Imagine that. I'm going to be playing Gunpoint and then we're going to be, come back in a fortnight and talk about it. Technology and podcasting. It's incredible. More people should do podcasts. They shouldn't. There are enough of them already for the love of God. But yes, that just about does it for this edition for our podcast. Uh, Stealth Boom Boom. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. Of course... If you have found yourself listening to this, whether, you know, your mate has invited you over to have a go off Basingstoke and he's also said, this is a good podcast, actually. Just have a listen to Stealth Boom Boom. Well, if, if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to our lovely little podcast via all of your podcatching apps. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Pocket Cast, you name it, we are there. Just search for Stealth Boom Boom and you will find us. You will also find us on all of your lovely social medias. We are at Stealth Boom Boom there and you can find all of us on social media i am at column underscore ahern adam is at adam zokes and josh is at joshy wise so now lads now it is time for my least favorite part of the show because this is the part of the show where we must bid the listener adieu so say goodbye adam carroll goodbye say goodbye josh wise see you later bye and say goodbye column ahern sloan go forward